Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey, Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. We have talked about this on the show before, about the importance of relationships. We have. It comes up a lot. How are you with relationships? I'm not good at it. Wait a minute. We are talking about playwriting, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. I guess, well, technically, I guess I am good at relationships because I've been married for a long time. So have you. So I think we're, I think we're okay. Did you know as- my anniversary <laughs> is Friday? Shut up. Yeah. That just worked itself into the conversation quite nicely. I did not know that. Congratulations. How many years? Thank you. 16. Oh my gosh. See? That's, yeah. That's solid, man. 16. I know. That's amazing. I'm really excited about the the gift that I that I found too. Can you say or no? Will Ron? Yeah, because this will come out after. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, I mean, this ties into relationships, even though it's not directly about playwriting, although... He is one of my biggest fans. We support each other's art. And I think that's really, that's important, right? To have yeah. people um, on your team. Yeah. So I found on Etsy, I love Etsy for personalized gifts. And it looks like an old time record player, but it has the words to a song that was kind of our song that they etch into the wood oh my gosh yeah and it's the song pure by the lightning seeds oh yeah i'm not gonna pretend i know that song but it sounds like a beautiful you would have it custom made yeah oh Uh wow i'll have to send it to you so you can see what it looks like he's gonna love that yeah we'll see that's beautiful you just never know how somebody is (laughs) how they how you just never know isn't that I do because I so so I John and I don't do gifts for okay. um for anniversary just because like we have everything and yep. like I, I used to get him t-shirts you know from places when I would travel in fact I am wearing this badass Muhammad Ali t-shirt right now oh, that yeah. I got for him um when I went to um Louisville and asked me if he's ever worn it Yeah. So I was like, in fact, today I made the official um, proclamation that I, this is now my shirt. And so, um, and so now I've stopped buying him anything like, uh, unless he specifically tells me something, you know, like, Oh, I want this. Um, Yeah. For the most part, we've become that couple, you know, where it's like, ah, he still gets me cool presents, I think, but I agree with you. Okay, so this is partially selfish because I liked it. Okay. And I don't mind hanging it. Um, but that was a very roundabout way of getting to relationships. How important do you think relationships are when it comes relationships are when it comes to playwriting? I think relationships are really important. I mean, the 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 biggest opportunities that I've gotten, like were because of relationships. Like somebody needed so- somebody that 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 I knew was like, "Oh, hey, you could write this. You're, you know, you could do this." Like just like really bizarre, so easy, so easy. Like you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like you know, 
working my butt off to like to try to get noticed. And then it just this opportunity happens just because, you know, I knew this person and they were like, it just it just seems so ridiculous. But it goes to show how important it's not easy because you have to make those relationships. But once you have those relationships, um, then it seems easy. But doing the work to get those relationships. And I don't think and I think getting making those relationships for me is not easy. How about you? Do you think making relationships like that is easy? No, not at all. It's your art, right? So it's the subjective thing. And we want it so badly. And we want to be heard. And we want community and to, to make connections and be in the room with other artists. Like that's, I mean, that's kind of what I crave as a, as a theater artist. I want to, I want that collaboration. I mean, of course, a lot of what we do is solitary, right? Yeah. But making those relationships is tough. I, I'm so self-conscious that I worry that I'm rubbing people the wrong way or, oh, this person doesn't like me or, you know, being fearful of even sending your thing out there. Um, it's it's almost easier sometimes to send it far away <laughs> where people don't know you. And, but then it feels very validating when you get something done out of town by people yeah. who don't know you. But I really, I love having relationships with people in town and, and having the opportunities that we've had here, like with, through Scripps Ranch theater for me, have it being a, being a part of their, um, out on a limb series, a couple of years that, that was fantastic. And, uh, and then script teasers and playwrights project, you know, Cecilia gave me my first commission. Yeah. Or playwrights project. Yeah. For you too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really grateful for those opportunities. Yeah. But it is, hard because you still you have to nurture those relationships too you know if you want to keep it keep keep the momentum going and yeah so you're you're doing all of these things you're not just the artist creating the work but you're also having to work and nurture water water yeah (laughs) so that it grows (laughs) so i i am the i'm a part of tuyo theater which is a latinx theater based here in san diego and we have a playwriting workshop for for new emerging writers and i feel like the mom in many respects like I, i i i don't i wouldn't say that you know i run the group but I, I guess I, I guess I do because it's, it's my job to like hold space, and also just because I've been doing it longer than the people that are a part of it. Um, but I, I feel very much like, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's really my job to nurture it because I, I really feel strongly about what we're trying to do, which is build this like strong cohort of, of writers that are, that are, you know very early in their career, but are doing some great work, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's energy. I mean, it's, it's everything that I am about being a mom, like putting it in there. I mean, we're working on this project right now for Dia de los Muertos and they're filming at my house, you know, and it's like, and because, you know, the mom in me is like, wants to make sure that everybody's taken care of. So I like, are they fed? Are they hydrated? You know, like, is everybody feeling okay? Like, 
but it's a lot of work. It's super satisfying, but yeah, it's definitely, I, I mean, I think it's paid off. Like it's, we've built this, this little family um, and it feels really wonderful, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely like, but I, if you don't water those, those flowers, they will, I think like, and I'm not saying like the, the, the playwrights, I'm just saying like that space because, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's easy for people, especially as writers, like you said, like we're, we, you know, we go off on our own and like, because this group meets once a week, um, like it forces us to show up and get work done and be creative. Like people make the time to be there and, and really um, to be present for their art and for like what the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to amplify Latinx voices in, in theater here in San Diego. Like, mm-hmm. and, and also like, I'm definitely old enough to be their parents, which is weird, <laughs> which is, which is like, when did that happen? When did I become, I used to be the youngest person in the room and now I'm the oldest person in the room. It's very strange. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. Oh, well, in that room. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um I like what you said about accountability. It's important. It's important and I think I love that you are holding that space so that people can show up and be accountable. You know, there there was this saying, uh, it applies to everything, I think, including just life in general, but for actors, that half the battle is showing up. You know, so many times casting directors would talk about how actors would book an audition and then just not show. I remember a casting director being really vocal about half of it is showing up, show up. And, and, you know, show up prepared. Right. And that's the same thing for playwrights, right? If you are on a weekly workshop, show up with your pages, show up ready to read. So I, I think that's important. So, Tori, one of the ways I think that you and I have been able to make relationships um, because we haven't been able to go to theater, but we've been able to build relationships and taking classes, Right. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. That's that's actually been a great joy of mine during this time that's been so strange and even more solitary, right? Because we've been sequestered at home. I've taken some great classes. How about you? Yeah. Oh, you know it. <laughs> but, <Wait> you, <laughs> but you have taken some really great classes and mm-hmm. so including one of them with our next guest, who I am just elated to welcome to the podcast. Her name is Donna Hoke. And I knew about her years ago. That comes up in our conversation. But let me tell you who she is. Donna's work has been seen in 47 states and on five continents. She's on the Kilroy's list has been an O'Neill, Princess Grace, and Austin Film Festival finalist, nominated for the Primus, Blackburn, and Laura Pell's prizes, and is a three-time winner of the Emanuel Freed Award for Outstanding New Play. Art Voice named her Buffalo's Best Writer, the only woman to ever receive the designation. I'm really excited to welcome Donna Hoke to the podcast. Welcome, Donna. 
Thank you for having me. <laughs> I saw you speak at the Dramatist Guild convention. The, the conference. The conference. Thank you. In, in La Jolla? Was it yes. Place? Yes. So this was several years ago. You were talking about submissions and networking. And then I had a question for you and I sent you an email and you were just so gracious about it. I mean, just really lovely about helping me to craft an email to get the, the to get the um, the help I needed. I have never forgotten that. Oh, I've well, and thank you. I, and, I don't remember that, but, <laughs> um, but I'm glad to hear I was gracious. <laughs> well, you you had a blog, and I had looked at your blog, and there there were so many fantastic suggestions, details, information that you were giving out for free to playwrights to help them navigate um, submission opportunities. Because it is... Yeah, that's where that, that conference idea came from. It was kind of born out of the blog post and thought this would make a good session for the conference. So the, when they asked all the reps to pitch something, that I pitched that. Yes. It, and it, uh, I, I think you could tell from the response <laughs> and how many people packed in that room yeah. that it is something that is really on the forefront of the, of the writer's minds. You know, um, I mean, how else are we going to get our work out there heard? Interestingly, before that, nobody was really doing it. Um, since then, Stephen Kaplan, who I had asked to do it with me, he's done it around the country when he travels. I've done it when I travel. And since then, just tons of other people have kind of started doing their own and submissions have taken off like never before. I mean, and I really do go back to that and think that that kind of started the whole thing. Yep. You're a trailblazer. For sure. <laughs> well, I can't take all the credit. Um, Asia Stratford and I developed it first for our region in New York State, and we did it to a very small group in New York um, after that. Mabel and I were talking right before you joined. Did you start the Facebook group, the official playwrights of Facebook? No, no. Dusty, oh, okay. Dusty Wilson started it. Um, and he kind of just dropped off of it like he, you know things would happen and he wouldn't be around and then he finally but a lot of people even when Dusty was still the official moderator thought I was the moderator just because I was so active on it so when he decided to step away um, he asked me if I would take over so I did um, and I took over for like five years and you know, there were so many times when things would get ugly and they would always get ugly when I was away and then I'd get all these emails and um, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that there was a function that you could approve posts first. Mm. Um, like, so things would go up, you know, without approval. And I didn't even know that was a thing. And the other moderator wasn't really active either. Um, so at one point, you know, things just kind of got out of hand. And I, I was really ready to just retire the group because so many people were disgusted with it. And, um, the person who kind of was around from the beginning was like, no, no, no. Um, let me try and get a team of moderators. So she did and they did that. But I have noticed so many other groups popping up. Like I keep getting invitations like for all these other groups. So that group is still active. I'm no longer an active moderator on it because I just felt like it was time for me to step away after five years. 
Yeah, I I remember, I know what you're talking about. I remember seeing some of those posts. Um, but also, I remember seeing information that you would put up that I just found to be really helpful. And you had a way of um, helping guide the conversation back to what what the, what it was really supposed to be about. I just started after that conference seeing your name everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so Donna, when did you make your way into playwriting? I'm so late to the game. Um, I, I lived in New Jersey where, and I did not grow up with any theater whatsoever. Like we have a touring house downtown in Buffalo that I went to like three times to see like maybe even twice, Beatlemania and Annie. Like, you know, I, I really never went to theater except my high school plays if I had a friend in it or something. So I was living in New Jersey. My ex-husband got involved in community theater. And so I would go watch him and all his stuff. Um, and I really liked going. I really enjoyed it. And But I wasn't thinking about writing a play or anything. Then we got divorced and I moved to Buffalo. And I um, saw this article in the paper about road less travel productions and their mission is world premieres by Western New York playwrights or was. And like by that, I mean, exclusively their whole season was world premieres by Western New York playwrights. I'm like, well, that's a great mission. And they're trying to get younger people in the theater. So I bought a subscription thinking it would be a good place to take dates. um, If I had tickets, which it was the fourth play I went to, I I ended up marrying that guy. Um, Wow. (laughs) Um, but like nobody was there because they were world premieres by Western New York playwrights, like eight people in the audience or something. Um, but in their program, they talked about the workshop they had for playwriting. And I was like, wow, they produce everything that comes out of this workshop. I should try to write a play. Cause I was always a writer, but I worked for magazines. Um, and so I wrote one and it got into the workshop. But at that point, like they, two things happened. A bunch of people had the same idea. So there were like 10 people in the workshop and the artistic director also realized he could not sustain a theater on world premieres by West New York mm-hmm. playwrights. So they just started doing one from the workshop each year. And ultimately, I mean, the workshop is gone now. Um, so the play I wrote that first year, they did not do, but a play that I put in the second year, they did do in the fall of 2010. Um, so that was the first production I ever had. So it really wasn't that long ago. I mean, in, in playwriting terms. And then I did not have another full-length production until 2013. But in between, I had a ton of 10-minute play productions. And that's kind of what kept me going and made me feel like, oh, I'm doing something right. And they weren't in Buffalo either. So it's like, okay, people outside here are accepting stuff that I've done. So I facilitate a a new playwriting workshop. And I, the, the playwrights that I work with, there are some people are writing their plays for the first time, but they do not have a, the concept that there are 10 minute play submission opportunities in the world. So how did you know that that was a thing, that that would be key to, to getting your work out there? Hmm. This is a really good question. I know that after the couple next door got produced, I thought, okay, my experiment is going to be sending it as many places as possible and seeing what happens when I do that. So that's how I started getting into the submission stuff. And so that was just cold submissions. That was just all cold submissions and nothing came of any of those, Mm -hmm. Um, which is an interesting thing to know because I feel like, name momentum carries a lot of weight in terms of getting people to read your play. 
um, like I have a lot more going on now and am I a much better playwright, you know, maybe incrementally, you know, like obviously I've learned a lot, but it's more like someone's willing to read it, which is important. Um, I remember I wrote the first 10 minute play. I remember I was listening to a song on the radio that inspired it, the first one. And then I just spent that whole year writing 10 minute plays, but I'm trying to remember how I was aware of opportunities because this was pre play submissions helper. It was pre playwright centers, opportunity stuff. I don't know. There must've just been like opportunities that I saw somewhere somehow that made me aware that they existed. There are way more now, but I think there are fewer quality ones now, unfortunately. Um, uh, but something must have made me aware that somebody must have been, I was on the playwrights binge. Maybe that was it. Like I joined that very, very early on. I've been on that for over a decade. So I might've seen 10 minute opportunities there. I don't know. Somehow I was aware that they, I mean, I was already on the submission thing. So whatever, whatever outlets there were for finding those opportunities, I must've been plugged into. But I remember yeah. what's inspired that first 10 minute play, which incidentally has never been produced. And there was someone who was supposed to produce it uh, right before COVID. And it may, it may still still at some point, but it's, it's very, a very subtle 10 minute play, which I've realized since, you know, they read 10 minute plays too fast. There cannot be a lot of nuance in a 10 minute play. My follow up question then is when did you start to track your submissions? August 16th, 2011 was the first time I wrote down. Um, I have a 242 page document of my submissions. I don't wow. spread to you. It's just like, I just add each one. Like, so it's now 242 pages long. Oh, <laughs> And every once in a while, I'll email it to myself in case it ever gets lost. But, um, do you think that as a, cause you're a freelance magazine writer, is that well, correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a gig worker since before it was called that, but I now right. have very specific freelance things that are steady work. So I'm not really looking for freelance work at this point. I still freelance make crossword puzzles, but again, I don't advertise. It's people who find my website and ask for them. Um, I'm the editor of Buffalo Spree Home which is our regional shelter magazine. And also I do all their theater writing and um, I make the puzzle for soap opera digest every week. So those are like really steady gigs that mean I don't really need to look for additional freelance work at this point. So if things come my way, I take them sometimes and sometimes I don't like I, I wrote these trivia books a couple of years ago just because I thought it sounded cool, but I'm in a position where I don't have to take freelance work unless it's something that's of interest to me. But do you think that the the experience of having to like pitch ideas to um, to to magazines? I mean, I don't know if that was a part of your process before when you were, when um, you were doing that. I Has that helped have, your playwriting? No, I didn't do a ton of pitching like that. I mean, I think I always kind of had steady ish gigs or, you know, when online happened, I remember going on Guru. I did. I did copy spinning for a while. It's like, here's something about insurance, you know, write it a different way, um, which I was really good at. And, and for a while that paid really well. I've done so many different things in my freelance career, like so many different things. Um, but, but I wasn't big. I did the pitching thing for a while. Um, and, and interestingly, I was doing that at a time, like when you couldn't even pitch by email, like it was hard copy queries, but I never found it particularly fruitful. You know, it's very much like cold queries in, in the playwriting world. Um, what I do think is helpful is having, you know, being a journalist and learning how to write concisely and get to the point and have that structure and 
be able to cut, you know, judiciously, we don't need this, this, this. I think those skills were really useful. I'll bet that comes in handy when you are helping another playwright as well, right? Because you do a lot of dramaturgical work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what compels you to keep writing plays? Well, what, what's interesting for me is when I wrote that first play, like, I mean, I had I had taken, you know, I have an English degree um, in addition to a speech pathology degree. And so I've taken a lot of writing classes, poetry and fiction. Nothing ever quite clicked like playwriting. So I kind of got out of writing fiction stuff because... I don't know. I just, I I was young and I felt like my family was too, like trying to analyze everything I was writing. And I was like, so it just like, it really just like, Oh, I can't deal with that. So, you know, I went the other way um, into journalism, but then like the story I told you just made me feel like maybe I should try to write a play because it would be fun. Like that was really it. I'm like, they do everything and it would be fun. And it all just clicked. It was like, Oh my God, all the bells and whistles like this is the writing. And I really didn't even have still any theater background. Um, but interestingly, that first play, like the structure is all there. So I must have absorbed it over time. Um, yeah. So I think it was just like, wow, I really like this kind of writing a lot. So when you write your plays, do you think bigger picture about uh, I'm, I'm going to write so that I know it can get produced, you know, like it's as far as uh, not a huge set or costumes or, you know, I do. do I definitely think about all those things, especially now. Um, I, I think, I think more about them now than I used to maybe because times have changed so much and it's really about like, what kind of play can I get produced, you know, in my demographic? Um, my most produced play is a two-hander with suggested sets. It's never won anything. It's never been accepted, you know, but it's been produced 12 times. And which just- play is flowers in the desert. Okay. Um, and it's just because it's easy to produce, you know, that is the primary reason. It's not like it's ever been noted or pulled out or amplified in any way. Um, it's just because it's an easy to produce play. So I am definitely cognizant of that all the time that the things that get a lot of attention or maybe get into big opportunities don't always tend to get produced. Um, mm. And especially right now, like when the pandemic started, I told my writers, we should all write solo shows because when we start coming out of this, people are going to want solo shows. And I wrote one that I have been toying with for a few years and, um, you know, it got right away into a development thing. And I was just in Aspen for a week at a solo festival developing it. And now I got a rights inquiry from a theater in New Paltz that's an NNPN member. So, I mean, people do want the one and two person shows right now. No, are you going to perform it or did oh, you God, write no. it? No, no. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So you've never performed? No. No. Wow. Because we've had a lot of playwrights on here who started as actors. Oh, I know. So, and and actors mm-hmm. make great playwrights and great directors because they, they get it from the inside. Um, but no, I've never done either. I mean, there's a level at which, because my daughter's an actor, so there's a level at which um, I think it would be really fun. Like, and I, I kind of am envious when I hear them talk about like, oh, the connection or like this and that. But like the repetition of it, I think is what would really get me. Like, I get sick of rehearsal of my own play, you know. Like, so um, I, I, I think the repetition of it would make me a little crazy. And also, what would also make me crazy is if like I didn't. Um, like their ability to find their way into any play 
You know, like if there mm-hmm. were a play I didn't really like, I would find it hard to be enthusiastic about it. But um, actors mm. just have a way of finding their way into anything, which I admire. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, can you talk about the play that put you on the Kilroy's list? Sure. Also, yeah. unproduced. Um, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, that play, I love that play. <laughs> I desperately want it to get produced. But it's about a, a sugar relationship. Um, this girl who has this sugar daddy and then she ends up having a boyfriend, you know, the someone she lived with that she had always had a crush on and they end up getting together after she has the other relationship. So she's juggling those two relationships. And I mean, it got so much attention in the year I was sending it out and it won um, the firehouse festival of new American plays. And it was supposed to get a production, but they had just gotten a new artistic director and like we were uh. having budget cuts. And so we're giving you money and a reading and, um, and it, I still get requests for the monologues from college students. And what I heard from most places, like they love doing the reading. They love the controversy of it. They were like, we could never do this in our season. So Mm. it didn't get produced and it didn't get produced. And I still send it out whenever there's a new opportunity that I could send it to. It just had a reading um, at Boho Theater in Chicago. And they really liked it. So I'm crossing my fingers that maybe they would produce it. But it's frustrating to me because it's a three-hander. It's pretty easy to do, but um, just have not been able to land a production for it, despite it being on the killer's list. So, and and that's the brilliant works of art, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it might be my favorite play of mine, but um, yeah. What makes it your favorite? Um, I think it's. I've had so many opportunities with it that I think it's just been refined. Um, you know, so it's tight and. Um, I like the characters a lot. I think it's funny. I think it's controversial, but I didn't intend it to be. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think people are just a little wary of it. And that again, goes back to like my most produced play. Like I think by and large, a lot of plays are, they shy away from being too controversial. Like they might be about issues, but that doesn't mean they're controversial, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the play, she keeps both of them you know, in much the same way a man would. And people don't like that. <laughs> wow. I mean, the men in the audience is getting sensed. They're like, she's lying. Like she da, 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 da. And I point out that the, you know, the sugar daddy guy is doing the exact same thing. He's married. And they're like, Oh, like it doesn't occur <laughs> to them because it's just all about her. And then the women, like I've actually gotten feedback from contests are like, you know, you need a different ending. We want a moral ending for Abby. We want <gasps> blah, blah, blah. So I think that it wow. turns both men and women off in different ways. So the people who respond to it are always the younger companies and younger women. Um, so it's going to take that kind of company to produce it at some point. Do you think theater is changing? Like, I mean, or, or I guess, is the landscape getting better for for work that is not, you know, doesn't get wrapped up nice and neat or is it just the same and there's just there's more possibilities because of technology and like people can just start a virtual theater company and like what do you what do you think the world is looking like for for theater you know I don't even know because you know there are some people who are on the forefront of change like I read an article today that said the American theater is moving toward communal work i.e. devised work 
And I was like, oh, is it? Because I don't feel like there's a place for me with devised work. Like that seems to me like a more actor writer centered and not really a writer who has a vision and wants to write that thing. So, but I do know that that's a huge movement. Um, is the whole theater community moving toward that? I don't know. You know, like it's, it's really hard to say because, you know, there are some theaters that are always just going to keep going back to the tried and true that sells tickets. And there have always been the theaters that like new work and want to push new work forward. Um, I don't know at what point that new work gets pushed into um, like community theaters, which tend to do, you know, a lot of safer selections. Um, I don't know the answer to that. And, and like, it's when I talk about there not being a path for comedy plays, that's part of it because there are so many writers writing comedy, but there's like one contest for comedy plays. There's and, and comedy plays need to be developed because anyone who's going to produce a comedy wants to see that it's funny. They want to be shown that this is a funny play before they take a risk on it. So because there's no path to develop comedies and show people in person, look how funny this is. People keep going back to like Ken Ludwig and Norm Foster and, and Neil Simon, like which a lot of it is so dated. I mean, I've been to some of those and they're just not that funny anymore. But because people expect them to be funny, if it's not, then it's not the theater's fault. You know what I mean? Mm. But if you do a new play that's a comedy, um, then you feel like all this pressure, like it has to be funny. And so if they read it on the page, I don't think they trust that it will be funny if they put it on their stage, which means if people aren't producing it so they can go see it and witness that it's funny, it doesn't have a life. Um, and so I think that is kind of a microcosm of the way all of theater works in terms of community theaters and people who want to program safer things. They need it to be vetted and proven, you know, to a point where they feel like their audiences know what they're getting. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Kind of totally rambly. makes sense. It totally makes sense. And it's, and it's, it's almost bleak for new playwrights. So what, what do you say to new playwrights who are trying to get in the game um, when, when theaters have, I mean, there's, there's a lot of money right at stake and, and, um, and so I get the, the tried and true, like you want to, you want the safe bet just to recover costs, but what do you say to those new playwrights who Well, it's kind of a two-pronged thing because one way to get into the pipeline of new plays, you know, at a national level is to have the production in New York with a really good review. Um, unfortunately, mm. a really good review in almost anywhere else, except maybe Chicago at one of the bigger theaters is probably not going to do a whole lot for you. Even LA, um, you know, it, it has to be New York and it has to be the right reviewer and it has to be a great review. And, you know, you're ushered along a certain pipeline that may or may not lead to a, a fiscally successful career, but at least gets your name known. Um, I mean, obviously I am not there. I have never had a big New York production, um, but I do have productions every year. I mean, I'm constantly working. And my, my suggestion to regional playwrights is always own your hometown. Like, you know, that's mm. where you're most likely to get a production where you can be hands-on involved in every aspect of it. My most satisfying productions have been in Buffalo because I've been able to be there the whole time at every rehearsal. Um, and also, you know, you know people there and like people will come. So they're, they're going to get a bump audience-wise. But also that's where you're going to build your biggest relationship. So I know every single artistic director in this town and you know, so it's 12 years, not even 12 years since I had that first production, 11. Um, 
And that theater is producing my fourth full-length play in April. It's been bumped twice. I got commissioned by another theater to write a play that'll happen in September 2022. I got commissioned by someone in San Jose to write a play about the Buffalo Bills, which went up in 2018. Um, a artistic director at a different theater asked me to write, uh, make my 10 minute play a full length play. Cause I had curated a 10 minute play festival for them. So you start to gain a reputation and it's going to have a lot more momentum in your hometown than it will outside of your hometown. And I always feel like if it's a relationship business, which is what we always are saying, you know, um, we're better than all the theaters in your hometown. Like I go to every single show at every single theater. Everybody knows who I am. We have, um, the Artie Awards, which are like our local Tonys. And because I kept going to all the shows, I finally got asked to be on that committee. Um, so that, I mean, that's how relationships start to build. Um, but if you can't do it in your hometown, then it's it's going to be hard to do it outside of your hometown. Mm-hmm. And in, and really, I mean, that's all New York City playwrights are doing is trying to own their hometowns. So it's a lot bigger <laughs> with a lot more competition. Right. That's great advice. Along those lines of owning your hometown and submissions in general, what advice do you have as far as choosing what contest to submit to, you know, what what is going to move your your playwriting career along? I mean, you've also got um, pretty strong opinions about fees, paying fees in order to have your plays produced. So I'm curious to hear about that as well. I have a whole blog post about my feelings about fees. I am not one of the uh, completely fee averse. I don't pay any fees kind of people because there are some like my, my solo play. I paid a fee to send it to red house in Syracuse. And he was the one who chose it, workshopped it, pitched it to Aspen. I got a free week in Aspen. Um, <laughs> out of, wow. out of that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you have to look at who's involved and what's being offered and I think at the end of the day, I always feel like, well, if I don't get chosen, I'm putting this towards someone else having that experience. Um, there are some, you know, theaters that charge you to submit a 10 minute play, that kind of stuff, like that stay away. I mean, I, I point people to to my blog posts where I break down like what I what I think about these, but I will just say that I don't um, have a blanket policy about not paying them because there are some opportunities that are well worth the fee if you get into them. Although mm-hmm. I did read recently, the O'Neill is working toward eliminating their fee um, over yes. time, reducing the fee and then eliminating it. Um, but there have been other fees I paid that have gotten me a week somewhere to develop my play. And, you know, maybe it was $10 or something, but I set a fee budget for the year. And I advise people to do that because sometimes there are things that you have the perfect play for. And if you get chosen, it's really, really worth it. Um, as long as you're okay with saying I'm happy to contribute $10 toward another playwright having that same experience. Mm. Um, as far as um, things that advance your play career-wise, I just don't know. I don't know if there are any of those left, really. I mean, I think for a long time, everybody thought the O'Neill was the holy grail of things. Like, if I get into the O'Neill, I will have made it. But people can get into the O'Neill and it doesn't change their careers at all. Um, what I have noticed increasingly is that 
playwrights get into things based on kind of what they've done, you know, like, like playwrights arrive at the O'Neill and they already have a career. They already have things in place or they have things that are going to happen. It's, it's like prizes, right? If you look at who's winning any of the big prizes, they're not winning because they just did this one thing. They're winning because they have a body of work behind them. And then now it's time for them to win this prize. And if you look at the succession, you'll find that the same people keep winning, like increasingly yep. better prizes because all of those prize organizations want to know they're giving it to somebody who's been vetted. It, it all comes back to that same kind of vetting process. So which um, which contest or award do you feel changed your career as a playwright? None. I mean, I was on the Kilroy's list and that did nothing. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, that play is still not produced. But again, yeah. so many plays that were on the Kilroy's list already had productions in the works or they were already, you know, slated, or they, you know what I mean? So it's that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I mean, nothing has changed it drastically. I think it's been cumulative. I haven't ever had like a huge production. Most of the productions I've had have been in smaller theaters who, who are willing to take risks on new work with a playwright that's also unknown, you know, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can't say that there's been any one thing that has made the difference. And in terms of submitting, I will submit to anyone um, who's willing to do development because it's always so valuable. I don't care if it's like some small group in, you know, wherever, and we're doing a virtual read and they're going to give me feedback because every time you do that, it's helpful. So Donna, if the big production doesn't come for playwrights, like how, how would you define success? Like what, what does success mean to you? For me, it's just that I always have something that's going to happen. You know, it could be anything, a reading. Um, I have a play that I'm writing that, you know, even if I'm having people over, like I just, I want to have the forward, forward momentum continuing that I'm still enthusiastic about writing plays so that I'll always have a new play, you know, to work with and send out but also that, you know, something is coming in the future. So it's not necessarily about the, the end game, like the, the, the award or like the big production. It's always just that the journey of getting, of looking forward to that something. Yeah. And I think that when the, you know, cumulative things start to happen, like I also have a a post about setting goals, um, you know, and what kinds of goals I set, because you can't set a goal of, I want this, you know, you can only set a goal of, I will do this that might lead to that. And over time, you know, that has happened. Like if you, if you create those goals that are achievable, um, the other things kind of happen, but do I think I'm ever going to get like a huge New York production? Probably not for many, many reasons. Um, but you know, you come to terms with that because, you know, there are people who live in New York who never get that, you know? Right. So do you have a routine for your writing and then a routine for submissions? Because I feel kind of like that submitting, getting your work out there is, it's a big part of our jobs as playwrights, I think, because, you know, who are we writing for? We're not writing for ourselves. We want to hear it out loud, right? Mm -hmm. So how much time are you dedicating? Um, I submit whenever there's something to submit to. So like the playwright binge, if you're familiar with that, that does March and September, I mean, it's the binge for me every month, you know, like I'm constantly submitting to whatever opportunities come my way or like I get a name from somebody or, Oh, like I really should follow up on that. Like, it's just kind of a constant thing. Um, And it's, 
except for September when you have a couple of the bigger ones that you need to like write, you know, maybe the goal development goals or whatever. Um, I probably don't spend more than 15 minutes on a given day. And it's not 15 minutes every day because there's not always something to submit to. Um, but it's constant. It's just constant. You know, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I don't know what the Playwrights binge is. I belong oh. to all of these different sites, <laughs> like Playwrights Center and, you know, and the Dramatist Guild, of course. And, and, and I have to say one thing I've done on the official Playwrights of Facebook is I look at where people have submitted and then I go and look at those theaters and I go, oh, is that something I could submit to in the future or whatever? But yeah. what is Playwrights Binge? The Playwrights Binge is a, um, it used to be a Yahoo group and now it's an IO group. Okay. Some other, some other thing. And twice a year in March and September, which are kind of the two biggest submission times, um, people kind of support each other in making a submission a day. I mean, some people actually do one submission a day. Some people clump and do, you know, seven on the weekend or whatever with the idea of doing 30 for the month. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome though, right? Yeah, no, I mean... it's great. I mean, it's gotten very large. And fortunately, like in the beginning, it was like you were supposed to post every day and say, this is where I sent and why. Thankfully, everyone doesn't do that because it's already a ton of emails. And it's just very repetitious because somebody will say, oh, here's an opportunity. And then you'll have another 20 emails. I submitted to that one, you know, so you have to really kind of get into a streamlined thing of like, okay, this is not useful, not useful, not useful and delete. Um, but again, like most of these opportunities I have already heard of by the time people say them because I've been doing it daily anyway. Um, but, you know, I just kind of eyeball them to make sure I'm not missing anything. So, Donna, what is inspiring you these days? What 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 are you interested in exploring in your writing? Um, what's what's got your attention? Um, I kind of loved writing the solo show. Um, there's just a lot of freedom in it, it you know. Um, but also, I I think they're useful. So, the things I'm working on right now is an adaptation because they are really hot right now, both for stage and screen. And I actually then coincidentally um, am taking a, an adaptation class with the Dramatist Guild. So, I'm hoping that'll mm. help break it open in some fun ways. Uh, when I was in Aspen with the solo show, the actress Sarah Stiles, um, I asked her, like, who is somebody that you've always wanted to play, like, in a solo show, like your character? And she instantly said, Mabel Norman. Um, yeah. So research um <laughs> i'm gonna write a solo show for sarah on mabel norman because i, I wow. really want to write another one and um and she's so into it and so I, i'm starting that research now um i still have a couple other um things like that i want to do like um i find i, I really want to write a hallmark christmas movie um yeah <laughs> and i wrote one and been trying for over a year since i wrote it to find a connection and i finally found a producer that said i can send pitches so now i need to come up with some new pitch because that was just kind of a writing sample i need to come up with some pitches for that i mean i, I always have more projects than i have time for unfortunately yeah i'm getting that <laughs> That's why I see your name everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say about like when I was before I was starting to get into all these other things, like and I would be writing a new play, I would always ask myself, because I think for regional playwrights, this is really important. And 
and you should look up the stuff I wrote about Cloney and, um, you know, how regional playwrights operate. I wrote an overall piece for how around like 10 things I learned oh. from interviewing all the Cloney. But one of them is that they have this wide variety of work, right? So it's, it's like, I have something to submit to every single thing that comes up. If it's a YA op, I have it. If it's a two-hander, I have it. If it's, you know, whatever, I have it. So like, you know, I, I used to challenge myself, like I want to write a two-hander in real time. You know, so I did that. Like, you know, the solo show was that kind of a challenge. I've never written a solo show. And I think that the more stuff you have to send to all the individual things that come up, um, the more opportunity you have. Because the overall advice is always get in the smaller pile. So the more specific an op is, if you have something for it, that pile will be smaller. I love what you're saying about that. We do <laughs> contests here as well, like uh, five-minute play contests for Hey Playwright. And there's this playwright, Rex McGregor, and he's in New Zealand, but he he has thousands of plays and I'm seeing him everywhere. And I'm like, how does this dude have time to write? But he's won our contest three times in a row because three he times. has plays. Yeah. That well, there's a playwright on the binge um, and she she will write to any 10 minute op that comes up. You know, if they what no matter what it is, how specific it is, she will write something. And you know what? That's where she gets the majority of her successes because wow. those piles are small, you know, because people have to not only be motivated to write to that specific prompt, but um, you know, do it every time. Right. Right. You know, I was thinking something that you worked with us in class on, but I think it's a really important part of the playwriting business is having your log line ready your um yeah. Yeah. your synopsis and those are hard to do harder than one would think right i feel like maybe that's something that has to be carved out into your day too because you have I to have that to ready those. Right? i try i mean i learned um that if like we talked about in class write the synopsis before you write the play um because it it kind of reminds you what the key mm. is like like we talked a lot in class about what elements were missing from your synopsis and they were missing from oh, the yeah. synopsis because they were missing from the play so <laughs> the synopsis can change like my hallmark movie i changed the synopsis three or four times um as mm. i adjusted the movie um but but the key parts of it you know didn't change because that that's the spine of it and that's what your synopsis is is the spine of your show so if the spine is weak, the play will be weak. And it's also like a perfect tiny roadmap for where you're going. Mm -hmm. So that, that's great advice. So oh. we are now at that point where uh, we are uh, going to ask a question of you, Donna, okay. asking for a friend. Let me yep, give that, let me let me give the just a, a a segue into that because it was inspired okay. by your play Elevator Girl. Okay. Okay. All right. So Donna, if you were to be the superhero of a graphic novel, what would your superpower be? And let's let's like level up and like what would your what would your superhero costume uh, oh, look God. like? Um, I'm so not into superheroes at all. Um, I mean, uh, my superhero power always, you know, whether it's useful for fighting crime or whatever, is I just want to <laughs> be able to teleport 
uh, we call it bonking in our house. Like, I just think there's no <laughs> greater power than to be able to get somewhere without traveling. Um, mm. To me, it just opens up the world. I mean, it, it opens up everything. People can live wherever they want um, and save so much time. <laughs> and my son and I argue because he would rather not have to sleep. And I was like, I, I wouldn't want to not sleep, but he thinks he would save just as much time not sleeping. I'm like, but who wants to waste it all traveling? Yeah. I mean, the idea that you could go to Europe for lunch and you could have a show in New York and you could do whatever, like to me, that's a superpower. Um, costume wise, I'd probably, I don't know. This is my costume, you know, sweatpants <laughs> and a sweatshirt. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Easy travel, around the world in, in workout clothes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's uh, comfort travel, travel comfort. <laughs> well, the thing is, if I get up and put on workout clothes first thing in the morning, I'm guaranteeing that I will work out because it's really embarrassing to then change into pajamas if you've never actually worked out in the workout clothes and it works. So I think I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I mean, even if it ends up just being like a half an hour walk or something, it's just really mm -hmm. kind of demoralizing to take off workout clothes that you didn't use. I love that. <laughs> I feel, like, I feel like I know. I feel like that's a challenge <laughs> that I, you, I if you work at home. It. it really works because you're comfortable, right? yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I mean, you probably are work, you know, working in comfortable clothes no matter what. That's that's brilliant, <laughs> <laughs> Donna. Um, so we we always ask our guests if you have one, if you could leave the audience with a writing prompt to get them started. And if you could share your writing prompt, that would be fantastic. Okay, so here is the prompt. Um, to give a character an unusual phobia. Um, and there's a list um, that you can put, I guess, in the show notes or whatever of the link that I gave. Um, and now put your character in a scene with an antagonist during which the phobia is confronted and conquered without the antagonist knowing it. So the antagonist could somehow have um, instigated the phobia, um, but they don't even know it. So the antagonist can, antagonist can speak as much as they wish, but the protagonist can only speak 30 words in the entire scene. But by the end of the scene, oh. they have somehow conquered that phobia without the antagonist knowing it. Wow. Talk about creative constraints. Uh, <laughs> 30 I words. Love I, oh, love I love it too. That, yeah, that's a well, I would one. love to read anybody's scenes if they, if they end up writing them. Okay. Audience. Oh, I'm, oh boy. Well, audience you don't, ends. you don't know what you've asked for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'll at least get them from us. Yeah, and I'm just curious. I think it's a, a fun prompt because there are so many fun phobias and to think about how they would be introduced into a scene um, is fun. Donna, so what have you got coming up and where can people connect with you? Um, they can connect with me on Twitter at Donna Hoke, um, Donna Hoke Playwright Facebook, um, at D Hoke Plays on Instagram something on Snapchat or like that. I don't remember. Um, I don't really have anything else coming up the rest of this year, but I have three productions so far in 2022. So I'm kind of looking ahead toward that and hoping to spend the rest of the year uh, writing mostly. Um, travel has been, you know, I used to travel like once a month on average, um, if not more for, for playwriting stuff, but so much of that has kind of gone away. 
So I did go overnight to New York in July for a workshop production, and I went to Aspen for a week, but I have nothing the rest of the year. Um, I just found out that the um, International Women's Playwrights Montreal Conference, which had been postponed from 20 to 21 to 22, then virtual, and now they're like, we're not presenting any plays at all. I'm still waiting for a screenwriting for Playwrights Fellowship to be rescheduled. That was also 2020. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I like hoping to get these projects written, um, helping my daughter move. We've been trying to find a house. So we've been getting this house ready and we're almost there, but like no houses are coming on the market. Oh so. yeah. It's tough. If people, if people want to connect with you because you, I saw that you offer dramaturgical services, they can find that on information on your website. On my as website well, right? and my email is Donna at DonnaHope.com. It's super easy. Um, easy. Can be in touch about anything, questions. I'm very quick on the email. Um, mm-hmm. so I will attest to that. <laughs> if anyone has <laughs> or questions knows. or they want to send their scenes or they're interested in play feedback or anything um, or crossword puzzles, mm-hmm. um, that's how to reach me. That is fantastic. We didn't even talk about the crossword puzzle. Oh my gosh, I know. That's the solo show. The solo show is the crossword play. The the performer makes a crossword puzzle over the course of the play. Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. And that's why I put it off for so long because I knew it was going to be really hard to do. but Donna, but there's a there's a video of that, right? There is. Like, um, there is a video of the workshop production wow. from this member. And then um, oh. I rewrote it like because that was a virtual audience. And then we had a live audience in Aspen, obviously. So we learned a ton out there and I've rewritten it. The new version is on NPX. The video gives you a sense of what it is. Okay. The last 20 pages doesn't really change that, that much, so... but um, the, the structure of it leading up to that last 20 pages is much better, moves quicker, has more audience participation, just like a lot of things we learned about like where the dips were and and that the audience really wanted to participate more than than I was allowing them to um, because they were all crossword fans. It was, it was kind of cool in that way. Um, and the feedback we got was really good. So the new versions on NPX, the video I left out there because I still think it gives people a good sense of what it is. Mm-hmm. That is very, very cool. And I, and very right. theatrical too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I it mean, was it a, was not yeah. my idea. Well, it was, so Stuart Meltzer, the artistic director of Zoetic Stage, I, he, I was down there for a reading and staying at their house and we were leaving for the airport. And he's like, you know, you need to do something with that crossword puzzle stuff. So I mm-hmm. kind of filed it away, but it wasn't until the pandemic. I'm like, I need to force myself to finally write this solo show. And then to get to develop it at Aspen. Yeah, wow. that, was, that was a really cool opportunity. I know this conversation could have just continued. I still have questions. So <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's what, but Tori, lovely. you can email them to Donna. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Donna yes. But we just want to thank you so much. Oh, for thank you. Sharing. It's always fun to chat with. Yeah. But just to share your, your wisdom and your inspiration and, and all of that. So we really appreciate you coming and spending time with us anytime, today. Anytime. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Donna. Donna. Thank you. <laughs> Wow, that was an amazing conversation. I'm I'm so glad that we got to uh, share space with her. She is busy, as you can tell from all of the things that she's doing. I I love the idea of keeping track of everything you're submitting. I think Lucy had mentioned that in a previous podcast uh, segment as well, but also just, you know, building those relationships in the community you live in. I love that. I think that's so important. 
I love what she said about really going strong in the community that you live in. Absolutely. And the thing about our community, Tori, is we have so many great theaters here. I mean, we have so much to choose from. So um, I think that you and I should really make the commitment to embrace that and and get out there and start meeting all of these wonderful theater, theater makers right in our own backyard. I mean, we really do take for granted um, that we live in San Diego and it's so rich with all kinds of theater. So. Absolutely. So let's yeah. do that, Tori. Let's go to a show. Hey, San Diego people, invite us out for coffee. Or you know what? We're going to invite ourselves to go get coffee with you. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Okay? Coffee's lame, remember? We need to work out. Okay, everybody. Oh, invite us. Give us get us guest passes to your gym, please. I would love at some point for us to be able to go to all the places, the people that we're interviewing, if they live in other states like Donna, getting to go to their hometowns and enjoy the theater that lives there and enjoy their plays. Yeah. You know, in those okay. spaces. It's not. You're talking about it like it's a pipe dream. We're doing it, Tori. Yeah, I know. What am I? We're doing it. It's going to happen. What am I? Who am I? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. All right. Well, that does it for us for now. Um, we have um, Space Force coming up. Yes. Oh, Mabel. Yours is coming up very soon. Well, by the time this goes, this hits the this hits the airwaves or whatever the internet waves. Uh, Space Force will be live, and then you'll be doing next month. So um, we'll put we'll put links for that. Um, well, by so the time this posts, it will yeah, be next month. It, yeah. Well, no, it'll be. Oh my god. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh my god! What happened to September? I know. So Mabel. As the Space Force Quarantine, um, done by our friends. Lonesome Whistle Productions. Lonesome, Lonesome Whistle Productions. And Mabel is doing the September Space um, Force. Yes. And I will be doing October's Space Force. And there are a bunch of other monologues on there as well. So you can check those out. We'll make sure we put that in our show notes. And again, I would just like to put it out there that I am not an actor. Would you stop it? So, nope, you're not allowed to make excuses. So, but stop it. As we say, Tori, in our classes, like it's not about the acting. It's about the words. Oh, no. This time it's about the acting. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the words. So listen, nope. Just listen to the words. Judge her, everybody. <laughs> Judge her. <laughs> anyways all right everyone that does it for us for now we will um see you next time i don't know what we keep saying we see we'll see you next time tori i'll see you next time the rest of you i will imagine you next time that's creepy is that creepy (laughs) it's creepy all right i won't imagine you yeah imagine them hey if we didn't have a dream we wouldn't be doing this (laughs) podcast so we will imagine that there are many of you out there listening okay okay (laughs) (laughs) all right happy writing happy creating and um until next time au revoir au revoir